What a delight it is for, for Carolyn, my wife, and I to be here. I've known, uh, we've known Pastor Don and Nancy for, I think, around 20 years. We loved them for about 12. And uh, <laughs> you know, they're just, they're, they're great friends, and we've really enjoyed them. And um, truly, if there's a call I need to make in ministry for advice, uh, it's to Pastor Don. Think the world of him. I always wanted to come preach here, and he always said, no, you're not ready. Um, um, and then uh, he said, well, I think you're ready, but I don't think the church is ready yet. So 20 years later, we're here, and uh, hopefully in, in 19, uh, 2039, we can make a return visit to, to preach the word to you. I want to ask you a question this morning, and that is, uh, what brings you the greatest joy? I mean, where you just can't stop, but celebrate, uh, rejoice. Uh, you just can't, do, you can't stop from doing it. Uh, I've just had knee surgery a few weeks ago, and so the acid test for knee surgery is golf. And so uh, I had played golf 18 holes on uh, Friday morning. And on the first hole, um, I had a chip shot probably 70, 80 yards uh, in, and it, uh, I hit it, hit the green, and took a couple of bounces and went right in the cup. That never happens with me, ever. But I couldn't help myself there. I was golfing with a, a buddy and I said, it went in, the, the ball went in, I can't believe it. What is it in your life that brings that kind of response? I just can't believe what just happened. For me, it's um, getting to see God work. It's the life changes. It's people coming to know Jesus. It's people using their gifts to bring honor and glory to God. Those are the things that really uh, excite me and bring me great joy. I want to take you to a, a chapter in the Bible, a psalm this morning, Psalm 126. Psalm 126, uh, as you're turning, let me just give you a little of the context for that section of Scripture. It's in the hymn book, but those hymns, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, fit together as a group. In fact, you'll find the psalm title written under each of the psalm numbers, and that is a song of degrees, or some of your Bibles may say a psalm of ascents, where it was, and it was believed that these songs, these 15 songs, were sung by the pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims, as they made their way up to Jerusalem, ascending to prepare their hearts for the festival and the celebration and the worship of the one true God. Others believe that those psalms were perhaps even sung on the 15 steps that led up to the temple, where one at a time as they would kneel, they would sing Psalm 120, next step 121, next step 122. We don't know for sure exactly how they were used except for the fact that it appears that they were used as psalms of hope and psalms of, of joy to prepare one's heart for worship. Over the years at Woodside, I've always encouraged our people to prepare yourself to come to the worship service where we gather together corporately. I think these psalms can beautifully do that as we gather together on, on Sunday morning, but Saturday nights are often late and Sunday mornings are often hurried as we're grabbing breakfast and getting the kids and getting the coffee and putting the Bible on the top of the car while you get the kids in. How many have ever done this? You've driven off with a Bible on the top of your car? Anybody? One? There are two of us. Three? Uh, it happens. 
And just taking a psalm or two and, and reading those psalms and meditating on those, maybe earlier Sunday morning can help prepare the heart. I want to, in Psalm 126, what I find here are two contrasting ways that God intervenes in our lives. Two contrasting ways. By the way, anybody glad that God intervenes in our lives? We all are, aren't we? But I find that he does it in different ways, and this psalm points out two of them. And I want to draw that to your attention today and contrast them by looking at four different things. Uh, First of all, the possible background for the way he works, the type of action, the result, and also the response when God works or intervenes in that way. So let's look at the first one, and that is the first picture of God's intervention we read in verses 1 through 4. When the Lord restored his fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Like our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among, our, among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Restore our, for, our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. What is the possible background for this intervention of God that can only result in these, this this resultant praise uh, and worship and joy of God. Well, many think it could be the time of the Assyrian siege of Jerusalem. This was the time when Assyria was the uh, world empire. They're very, very strong. uh, And they they had conquered the cities along the coastal plain, Azekah and Lachish, and cities that, that Jerusalem had relied upon for their own defense. Once those cities were gone, all Jerusalem had were its walls to defend against the great Assyrian army. And for a long time, Hezekiah the king would pay tribute to the Assyrian king so that they wouldn't destroy the city. And finally, the king uh, said, I want the city. So he sent his general down, the Rabshaki, along with a lot of troops to surround the city of Jerusalem. And he, the, the, the general then uh, cried out, and uh, Hezekiah had sent Eliakim out. Eliakim was a, a representative of the king, and would an envoy, so to speak, and they would, would talk. But the, the general, this Assyrian general, would speak in the tongue of the people who could sit on the wall and understand, and he would use blasphemous speech. And he says, if you think Egypt's going to come and save you, it's like leaning on a cane and the point of that cane coming through your hand. It's not going to happen. How do you know that God hasn't sent me to deliver you? And if you'll just surrender, you can live. But if you don't, you'll be destroyed. Can you imagine Eliakim now having come back within the city walls and explain the situation to Hezekiah? Hezekiah knew what was going on. Hezekiah got the news, and as a a godly king, he went to Isaiah the prophet And he said, what are we going to do? Isaiah the prophet wisely went to God. And said, what are we going to do? And God gave the message to Isaiah, Isaiah back to Hezekiah, that there's going to be a rumor of war up in the north, in the land of Assyria. The general and all of his troops are going to have to retreat. And while there, the angel of the Lord in one night will strike 185,000 dead. Can you imagine as a mom or a dad, a grandfather, a grandmother, a child, being in the city of Jerusalem and counting your days knowing it's going to be just a very short time before they're going to either come through the wall, under the wall, over the wall, but you're going to be destroyed. 
your family perhaps killed or carried off into captivity. And just like that, God delivers. Just like that. Some suggest that perhaps this background could have been the way uh, the children of Israel had come to the edge of the, the Red Sea. And at the edge of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army coming behind them, again, it's only a matter of time that they're going to be destroyed. Um, And then God opens up the Red Sea. You know the story. They walk through on dry land, get to the other side. The Egyptian army gets into the river, and the waters come crashing down. And it happened just like that. You could go on in many, many other instances in the life and the history of the children of Israel. They come to the Jordan River. Joshua chapter 3, Joshua chapter 3 verse 5, Joshua basically says to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among us. And they came to the edge of the Jordan River during flood season, the priests stepped in, the Jordan parted, they were able to walk through. It was all God, and it was just like that. The one way God works in our lives is instantly. Instantly. The type of action is God did it all. God is working for us. It's a sudden action. It's a sharp reversal. And we get to have a front row seat, but we did nothing as a part of that action. The fourth verse says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Um, Many of you have been to Israel. The Negev is the southern part. It just means south. Um, They don't get much rain there. Uh, about four inches a year, but when that rain comes, it comes like all at one time. Uh, In a recent trip a couple of years ago, uh, just before we came, the week before we came, 11 Jewish school children uh, were were drowned in a flash flood that happened in the Negev. And you look at that land, you say, flash flood, you got to be kidding. Where's the water come from? Well, the water comes and hits those hills and forms torrents in the valleys. And in those raging flash floods, it happens just like that. And that's what he's saying to us. God works in our lives, sometimes just like that. And when it happens, we can only say, are we dreaming? Is this really happening? And we pinch ourselves and we say, glory to God. We did nothing to make it happen. We had a front row seat. Years ago, uh, our church sent my wife and I to Hawaii. Uh, we never understood the one-way part, but we enjoyed the trip. You know. <laughs> but we got there and uh, did some excursions. We came back to the room one night, and there, the, there was a flashing light on our telephone, and there was a message. It was from our son. Uh, we had uh, we'd always left people with our kids when we, but now my, our son was. Um, a freshman in college, just going to college, or a freshman in college, between his freshman and sophomore year, and he said, we can watch ourselves, two younger sisters. We weren't sure, but we, we had to trust them, and we had people watching and looking in on them, but they were at home alone. He was going to take a trip to Chicago to see his girlfriend and take his younger sister during one of those weekends we were gone. And so here's the telephone message we received when we got back to the room. Hello, Mom and Dad. Just want you to know we almost died, but we're okay. (laughs) So we called. Couldn't get a hold of him. 
I mean, this went on for a long, long time. Couldn't get called people uh, and just couldn't make any, couldn't get the answer, couldn't get the story. And finally, when we did get a hold of them, Andy told us, told us a story. He said, we were driving to Chicago on the freeway and the car began to shake and things started flying off the car. We didn't understand it. Um, it was kind of scary. Um, so we pulled off into an exit on an exit and there was a, uh, a gas station there with a restaurant attached to it. And he said, we just, as we were going into the restaurant, this Indy racing team came out and they had all their trucks there. And they asked us what was wrong. And we said, we, we don't know, the car's just shaking and um, things seem to be flying off. And they, what had happened is that before we left town, I had new tires put on the car, but apparently they hadn't tightened the lugs tight enough. So those were flying off and the wheels were loose. And so the Indy racing team said, listen, we'll take care of it. And so they got their equipment out and they had the car back on the road in about 7.6 seconds. <laughs> and as we talked about it, and thought about it many times since. We were helpless. We couldn't do anything about it. We were thousands of miles away, but God, just like that. Aren't you glad that God works that way in our lives? And when it happens, there's freedom. The result of that, he says, there's freedom. Our, our hearts are filled with joy. Uh, there's shouts of laughter. Some good friends of ours, uh, many years ago now, gave birth to uh, premature twins. Uh, there were uh, complications and the kids had to be uh, uh, taken by helicopter to University of Minnesota Hospital from a rural area in, in Wisconsin. And it, during the weeks and then early months of uh, care and those kids were gonna make it. And they finally brought the kids home and but about the time they brought the kids home, the bills started arriving from all of the, the medical bills and the helicopter and all of this, those medical bills started rising to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Did I mention they didn't have insurance? And so the bills really amounted to an amount at that time that they could never pay in a lifetime. And can you imagine getting up every day with the weight of that burden? And it all changed one day when they got a letter in the mail from the county that said, all of your bills are covered. And in that one day, it's all gone. This is one way God works in our lives. We love it when it happens. And the, re the response to that is, are we dreaming? This is great joy, verse 3 tells us. Uh, verse 2 mentions that we're, our, our mouth is filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. Uh, the Lord has done great things for us. When that happens to you, you cannot not share that with someone else. You've got to tell them what God has done. It's shock and it's inexpressible and it's restoring our fortunes like those flash floods in the desert. That's one way God works. A second way God works is found, and it's a contrasting way, it's found in verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. 
The second picture of God's intervention perhaps has a different historical background. And some would suggest that the background for this is when God said to the children of Israel, uh, this is the land that I've given you. Now you've got to go possess it. And as you go possess it, you're going to be fighting against the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Amorites. You're going to be fighting against all of these people. But just know that I'm going to be with you. Go. Or perhaps you're referring to a, a time where some of those marauding Assyrian armies would come through. And they would just uh, uh, pick at different villages and, and, and there would be constant war going on. And the children of Israel had to be ready for all of that. And so the, this type of intervention is different because the type of action is God is working, but he's working through us and he's working with us. This, time, this type requires, um, and he uses an agricultural illustration. It and I grew up in a farm in southwestern Minnesota, in fact, the same area uh, where Tim Van Lowe is, uh, uh, grew up as well. So don't hold that against him or, or me or Minnesota. But, it was, uh, but we knew about farming. Farming was hard. It is hard work. Some of you might be farmers or have a background in farming. It's hard. There are long days, and you get up and you prepare the soil. And then you sow the seed, and then you've got the expense, a lot of expense, of fertilizers and insecticides and that kind of thing so that you can get the best crop possible. Then you cultivate, and then you wait. And while waiting, you pray, and you trust God. You can do all of this, but unless the Lord is in this process, you're not going to get the crop that you want. So it's not us working apart from God, it's us working with God and God working with us. And so every farmer knows that we are dependent, you're dependent upon God for the early rains and the latter rains as the Bible talks about so that the seed can germinate and that the crop can multiply. And then the day will come when you can go forth and reap the harvest. But not after a lot of work, not after a lot of, until after a lot of waiting and weeping comes the reaping. The result, so the type of action is God working through us. It's gradual, it's not sudden or immediate, it's slow, it's arduous, and it's emotional. The result, um, a harvest. It says here, we, we come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with us. The result is the same with each one. Shouts of joy, that's the response. But in the second way God works, it's preceded by, by tears and sweat. And others are a part of this. The response, shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves, preceded by weeping. Let me just illustrate this in a few ways and apply it to our lives. When I think of our salvation, I think of our salvation as the first way God works. Just like that. Now, don't get me wrong. Prior to salvation, God may be working in our lives in such a powerful way, using other people, using the word of God. But when it comes to that moment of time, while all of our stories are different, this is what stays the same. The Spirit of God shone light into our soul through the Word of God, and we were translated in that second of time from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. 
One songwriter put it in, in such a beautiful way that it's considered to be the best rendition of the gospel in a verse of hymnology. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Uh, the chains fell off. That's what happened. God did it all. We can't take any credit for our salvation. God did it all, right? Are you with me? And when we come to know Jesus as Savior, we look at that and say, praise God. We're so overwhelmed because in that second of time, all the guilt is gone. All the condemnation is gone. And now we can stand before God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we say, this is unbelievable. And we cannot not share that with others. That's salvation. However, the second way God intervenes is a beautiful picture of our road to Christ-likeness or sanctification. It involves our work and God working through us and in us. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, take your salvation to its ultimate conclusion, and that is Christ-likeness. Do that. And, but the, the Spirit of God will use the Word of God. He'll use people. He'll use, use circumstances to work into our lives. And when the Lord works that way, again, it takes time. Um, I think of addictions. I think of people who have been addicted to alcohol or drugs or perhaps pornography. And they pray. And they say, God, deliver me from this. There are times that I've seen over the years where God will take a, a person who's been in deep addiction and they pray and the desire is gone and the chains are off. Just like that. I've seen others who've prayed and say, God, deliver me from this addiction. I hate it. It's ruining my family. And what happens is that God gives victory. But it's along with uh, every Friday night in a recovery group, meeting with a group of friends, being held accountable. God works in our lives in two contrasting ways. Sometimes immediately and suddenly, where we can just say, are you kidding me? And other times slowly and gradually, where he's working through our lives and through the lives of other people. I think of a young man or a young woman who um, wants to get married. And they'll say, God, give me, a, give me a husband, give me a wife, but do it like this. And sometimes God will do that. Where I, I was talking to a couple on Friday night, and I asked, how did you meet? He said, we met like this, and we were married five days later. That's God doing it like this. You just think all the money that was saved in chocolates and you know, uh, flowers. Does God, do, does God work like that? Yeah, he does. And sometimes people will pray and say, God, I need a husband, I need a wife. And that prayer is prayed over and over and over again. And that prayer is prayed at times through the tears on a pillow. Night after night after night. Would you give me a husband? Would you give me a wife? And yet, when God works this way, it doesn't hurt to get on Christian mingle. It doesn't hurt to network. 
because God is working in us and he's working through us. But we still trust God. Lord, I need a job. Some people pray that and God supplies a job when they never even filled out an application, never did a resume. Maybe they weren't even looking. And they got a call and offered a better job. And when that happens, you say, wow, God, this is phenomenal. And other times, people say, God, I need a job. And God says, fill out an application. Knock on a few doors. And there's waiting. And there's weeping. And there's trusting. And then there's joy. And all the different, I, I, I think of over the years, how many times I've prayed with people who um, stage four came. And I'll pray and say, Lord, uh, would you bring healing? Would you bring healing? When I pray that, normally I'm praying, Lord, would you just take it away? So they'll go to the doctor, and the doctor said, I don't know what went wrong, but there are no signs of cancer here anymore. Have you seen that happen? Yeah, I've seen it happen over the years. One of my friends went through a surgery, a cancer surgery, and um, later they, you know, another hospital looked at it, and they said, I don't know why you did that surgery. You don't have any cancer. You never had cancer. You should sue the hospital. My friend Todd says, how do you sue an act of God? I trusted God, and God took it away. There are times I've prayed for God to deliver from cancer, and I've officiated at a funeral. I've come to realize that God always heals. Sometimes he heals like this. And it's just that miracle. The cancer is gone. You're walking. You've never walked before. But it's just like that. Praise God. Sometimes the healing is gradual and it involves chemotherapy and radiation and rehab and time and weeping. And it's gradual until finally you hear the report, I'm cancer-free. And sometimes God heals ultimately and takes a person home to be with him and healed in every single way. I'm so glad God intervenes in our lives, but I want to be honest with you today that the, the, my preferred way of God intervening in my life is this. How about you? Anybody like me today? You just want God to do it and get it over with Provide miraculously. We'll rejoice. We'll give you glory. But just do it, Lord. And he has worked in my life in that way. But most of the time God's worked in my life is in this way. I remember going to, to Bible college. And I would always hear these fellow students say, I didn't know what to do. I, I, had, this, I had to have a college bill for my tuition and room and board and I had to have uh, an amount 
paid before, so I could take my midterm exams. It was going to be $715.11. And I went to the post office. And in the post, I mean, my box was a check for $715.11. For four years of college, I checked my mailbox. Never happened. It never happened. But God took care of me by always providing a job. And so I was able to finish college without any debt and get married three weeks later. That's where the debt started. (laughs) In a good way. God works in our lives. If God always worked like this, I would never have learned the lessons I needed to learn about him, about myself. I would never have my faith strengthened, though it has been. May I encourage you today? God is working in your life. When he works like this, rejoice and be glad and tell the world about it. When he works like this, don't think for a moment that he's not working. He is working, but he's not only working to, to, to get the results that you want, he's look, working to get the results that he wants and strengthening our faith and making us more like Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would guide us through your word to draw closer to yourself. Father, I pray that at every moment of every day when we're faced with things that are beyond our abilities, Where, Father, we need you. Lord, may we depend upon you in prayer. May we trust you to know how to work best in our lives that we might grow to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.